Well, before we get started with the message this morning, I wanted to welcome all of the people who are watching online. In fact, last week I was able to meet one of them that watches almost every week. Her name is Janet, and she was here for our opening. She lives in Wisconsin and just mentioned what a blessing um, this ministry is to her. So Janet, if you're watching, welcome to part two of um, Building Northcross. In 1982, one of the most famous buildings in Minnesota's history was opened. Immediately, it became home to the Minnesota Vikings and to the Twins and to Gopher football. Over the years, it also happened to be home to the little-known soccer team called the Minnesota Strikers, and also was host to the Minnesota Timberwolves' first year of basketball. The Metrodome is a place that many of you um, hold dear to your heart and is a place that you will always remember. For some of you, maybe it was the place where you experienced your first football game or your first baseball game in person. I'm guessing very few of us went to a Strikers game. Anybody went there? You did, Joe. Nice. No one at first service did. So we had a few striker fans, I guess. And um, yet, as much as we revered its memory, 31 years later, it was destroyed and leveled. Now, there are a lot of reasons why the Metrodome was destroyed a few years ago. But, but I would say that probably one of the reasons at its core was that the Metrodome had been built and designed to be a home for many different sports and had a purpose of hosting a lot of different things. And so what happened is that while it hosted a lot of things, that it probably wasn't the greatest for any specific thing. <laughs> Too big, maybe, for baseball, bleachers not facing exactly the right way. And so with the dome, it had a variety of purposes. And yet what would have been helpful, what's always helpful, is to be very exact and specific in purpose. Because here's the thing. It's our, our first... Oh, um, as a sort of corollary to that... A building like Allianz Field is one that was created and built with a very specific purpose. I had a chance to visit it a few weeks ago. Built for soccer, and you can tell. The way the building is shaped, the, the way that the, the seats are sort of positioned, and the big wonder wall on one side of the field, which is a place for soccer fans to stand the whole time, not sit, to cheer and chant and wave big flags. It was built with a specific purpose. And that, my friends, is an example of what I'm talking about. When you have a clearly defined purpose, it will direct your decisions, and your focus. And that's true of buildings and stadiums. It's also true with life. Now to our first villain. A clearly defined purpose will direct your decisions and your focus. And there's something clarifying, there's something powerful about a very specific 
purpose. Maybe you've experienced that in a season of life. Like a, a mom with a newborn, she has a very specific purpose. She, if she works outside the home, she usually has time off. Her purpose is so clearly defined, and that can be helpful. This series that we're calling is uh, Building North Cross. And as I mentioned before, it's not about um, the building. It's about North Cross, the people. It's about North Cross, the ministry. And as a connection, it's really about God's people and the plan that God has for those who know Jesus. And and I would say right out that today what we're going to be talking about is what is the clearly defined purpose that God has given you? Now, I also understand that there could be some pushback to this because when someone maybe you don't know who has a mic on says that he's going to tell you what your purpose is, <laughs> that can feel or sound a little bit intrusive or a little bit forward. You don't even know me. How, do, how can you tell me what my purpose is? Well, let me clarify some things. I, I'm not going to tell you, um, we're not going to talk about you know, what occupation you should go into or what job you should take. We're not going to be talking about what hobbies you should have. What we're going to be talking about is irregardless of where you live or what job you currently have or what neighborhood you're in or what hobbies you like to do on the weekend, that there is this underlying thread of a purpose that you and I have from God. Now, even that might sound a little bit forward. But that's why last week's message was so foundational. You see, we don't start with purpose. We start with what God did for us when we had no future. Last week, one of the key passages that I used in order to sort of get to what Christ has done is this one. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that it was while we were still sinners, not when we had taken a couple steps towards him, not when we you know, made ourselves look good on the outside, not when we started to do more good than bad. It was when we were at our worst while we're in the midst of our sins, that Jesus came into the world and died for us. Many of us were, were baptized as children, right? There is nothing good in us on our own. We're born with this sinful nature. And maybe it was then at your baptism in which Christ, through the power of baptism, came to you while you were still a sinner and you received the benefits of what Christ had done for you. But at that moment, things change. When we come to faith in Jesus, our life is not our life anymore. We have new hope. We have new future. And because he's made us a part of his family, he also, God does, has the right to give us new purpose in how we live that life until we return with God in heaven Someday. So here is that foundational piece that we need to better understand our purpose, which is now on the screen. Our, our purpose is something that Jesus gave to us. It's this. 
that we are to preach the good news, preach the gospel. We are to share the message that's changed us with all creation to the world. This is the way that I put it, just in sort of regular language. Our purpose, if you want to write it in, to share the good news, the message of Jesus with the people around us. Now, just because it's clear doesn't mean that this purpose is easy. In fact, as I've now been a pastor for a while, I have found that for most people, doing this regularly and daily, outside of the people who live in the same four walls as they, their immediate family, is very, very hard and is done, I hate to say it, very, very rarely. And, and there are two things that kind of we, we butt up against in sort of living out this purpose, um, make it hard. The, the first thing is ourselves. You see, by nature, we live to please ourselves first. Who do you think about the most? And if you say your kids, that's good, but they're kind of an offshoot of you. That immediate family is kind of the same thing in a lot of ways in this, for this case. We naturally think about ourselves first. The most important people in our lives or the most important person in our life, if you're to really be honest, the, people, the person you think about the most, the person you try to please the most, most of the time is the person you see in the mirror. And some of that isn't necessarily bad. Like, of course, we want to take care of ourselves and we want to you know, strive to use our gifts to the best of our ability, but... We also are to love others like Christ loved us. And so it is a challenge to think outside of ourselves, to live for someone else or others more than to live to please or make our own lives better. And I'm just going to acknowledge, it's hard for me too. So this natural tendency to think about ourselves first makes this hard, this, this mission, this purpose. The second thing is our culture. So we live in a, a culture where truth tends to be whatever you want to make it. And in fact, you, you tend to be labeled as unloving or judgmental if you're to say that there is an absolute truth or that what you think about God is the only right way. Now, before we lament the spiral of our country too much, let me just say, this has always been the way the world has been. Do you remember when Pilate was standing in front of Jesus and Jesus talked about the truth of who he was and Pilate's response is, what is truth? The Jews say this, you say that. Pfft, what is truth? I don't know what truth is. It's always been the way it is, but it does push back on our willingness to go out on a limb and to share because our culture has made it even more difficult maybe than it ever has been. Now, the cool thing is that the section of Scripture we're going to look at over the next little bit is a section of Scripture that really gives us some encouragement to help combat both of those things. It's an opportunity that we're going to see a man named Philip in the first century, go out and to share 
the good news with someone, and through that, we're going to learn some things. So this is recorded for us in the book of Acts, and that's just short for the Actions of the Apostles, which is a history book written by Luke, again, about the, the actions of the first century church in those years after Jesus died and rose again. And so Philip is not the Philip that was one of the 12 disciples. This is a man who was a layperson and leader in the Jerusalem church, and God had a very specific call and purpose on his life in this moment. Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said audibly to Philip, go, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he went. Now, you read this on the page, and it's like, okay, that's fine. He, angel talked to him. That's pretty cool. Philip listened. I think I would listen, too. But understand, real life is always more difficult than just reading it on a page. And where Philip was at this time was in the country of Samaria. Remember how Jews felt about Samaritans? Jews hated Samaritans. And Samaritans hated Jews. And yet God had sent Philip to go there. And in fact, if you read a little bit at the first part of chapter 8, Philip, with the Lord's help, was to make, made some amazing inroads in Samaria where a bunch of the Samaritans not only listened to him, but came to faith in Jesus as their Savior. And so now Philip's kind of getting all settled. It says that there was joy in Samaria. You know, Kind of think of it like he just built a church, right? Now he's getting comfortable. (laughs) And then the angel comes and says, go. I have to imagine Philip's thinking, why? (laughs) I don't want to go. And yet he does. Next verse. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. We'll talk more about what a eunuch means at the end of the message. So hold on tight. An important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ephesians. So he gives him a specific direction to go to this Ethiopian eunuch, and then continues some more. Verse 28. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, this eunuch did, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so Philip's call on his life by God was very, very specific in this moment. Not just go, but go to the Ethiopian, go to that road, and go to the chariot and stay near it, which gives the impression that the chariot didn't stop, (laughs) that the chariot was going and Philip's running alongside it, you know? He's supposed to go and stay near the chariot. Wouldn't it be nice if God sent an angel to speak in your ear what you should do with that job proposal? Or where you should live, that's not the right house. Go to the other community, the other neighborhood. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? God doesn't usually work this way anymore. And yet the interesting thing is, when it comes to the purpose that God has on your life, he says the exact same thing he said to Philip. Remember that section we read earlier that said, 
preach the good news to all creation, I intentionally left the first phrase out to share a point with you today. So this is what the whole section, the whole sentence was. It says, go, Jesus did. Go. Go into all creation and preach the good news. Or go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. In the Greek, it's the exact same word here as it was in Acts. It's kind of neat to think about that God has the same calling on your life as he did on Philip's life. That we, well, it's our next fill-in. Jesus has called his people to go. It's an action word. It requires movement. (laughs) And it may not always be (laughs) well-received. Like last night, I had a long day of working like I usually do the day before I preach and knew I was going to get it up early this morning. And uh, as I was just kind of settling down maybe for the evening, um, Carrie came and said, let's go on a walk. And I'm like, let's not. (laughs) And she prodded a little bit and, you know, not to be overly dramatic, but eventually I went and But I would not have done it if Carrie wouldn't have said, go, okay, and encourage, because here's my point. Sometimes it's easier to sit than to go. When I look at the Christian church in America, and as I think of Christians, followers of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, this doesn't apply to you yet, so you can just put your fingers in your ear and pretend like, you know, I wasn't talking to you because I'm not. But if you are a follower of Jesus, God's call on your life is to go. And the way that most Christians act and many churches tend to be is that Jesus stood in front of his people before he left and shared this message, wait right there. Build nice churches with great organs or good bands. And because you're already saved, just wait, and I'll be back. And by all means, don't be uncomfortable. Don't change anything. Just sit and wait and be as comfortable as possible. Now, I might be overly dramatic there, but I'm probably not too far from the truth whether it be as churches or even just personally. I want to tell you, God has given us tremendous, tremendous, tremendous purpose in life. But it's going to require us to be somewhat uncomfortable at times, to put ourselves out there, and to be intentional with looking for open doors. Philip was told, I want you to talk to this Ethiopian. I don't know who you should talk to, but here's what I do know. God has put you where you are right now, meaning in the neighborhood or the home or the job you live or work at for a reason. You've been strategically placed by God for this time and in this moment And he wants you to go where you were planted. So because 
God hasn't told you through an angel, at least I don't know that he has, it's up to us to think and to consider, to ask ourselves this question that I think is so powerful. You, who's your person? You should always have a person. There should always be someone that you're intentionally praying about and thinking about and looking for opportunities not to level an agenda with, we'll talk about that in a moment, but instead to love on and to go to. I also want you to know that North Cross is a church that wants to partner with you in that. You see, we're very intentional with creating what I'll call environments where the longtime Christian will feel comfortable and, God willing, might even learn a thing or two, (laughs) but is also a place where someone who's never been to church before, don't know the love of Jesus, may not buy into it all right away, that's up to the Holy Spirit in them. But we'll understand what we're talking about. We'll feel welcome and may, God willing, want to come back. That we want to be a church that partners with you in this purpose to make it easy for you to invite people to go to starting point or to come to church on Sunday morning with you. Because we recognize as a church that God has given you this purpose as an offshoot, the church that purpose too. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. I want you to notice something. Um, How did he start? With a question. Not with a bullhorn. (laughs) Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand. And I suppose God can work through bullhorns too. But I, I love Philip's process where he started by asking a question and inviting a conversation. Verse 31. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I don't know all why this Ethiopian was willing to have Philip come up, but I I do think that Philip was being really strategic in how he approached him. You know, Jesus did the same thing, asking questions. Last week, instead of just saying, I'm the foundation, he got the people thinking. He asked, what did he ask? Who do the people say that I am? And then he said to Peter or to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And then he taught. Or when the disciples were on the boat on the Sea of Galilee and it looked like the ship was going to go under and the disciples were all fearful, even though they had the Son of God in the boat with them, instead of Jesus just saying, quit being scared, he said, why are you so afraid? And he engaged them. I don't think in Philip we see a biblical mandate in how you share the gospel, but I do think we see some clues on some things that can help. I'm going to put it this way in number three. As you think about your person, one of the things that can be really helpful is to seek to understand them so that you can be better understood. What are they feeling? What are their struggles? What 
gospel truth, what biblical truth do they most need to hear? What are they facing? What are they going through? This is so important for two reasons. The first is it shows that you care. I think so often when we evangelize the people or when we share the message, the good news with people, they tend to feel like they're your project. And all you really want them to do is go to your church. And even though that's not really your intention, ultimately, it can feel that way. But when you ask questions and when you invest in them with your time, when you love on them relationally first and seek to understand them, they begin to see that it's not about a church Ultimately, it's about them and that you care more about them than that they come to your church. The other thing as we seek to understand that can happen, as we ask questions, as we love on people before we evangelize, is to help you, it helps you better understand what to share. So ultimately, what we need to share is the good news of Jesus, right? But it's, it's how we get there that can change. Parents, you know all about this. Okay? So, like, if your child does something wrong and they're crying about it and they feel really guilty about it, what you should not do, dads, is go in there and say, You should be crying. This was horrible. Okay? What you should do in that moment, as they're feeling guilty over what they did, is put your arm around them and love on them. Now, that's very different than the child who did something wrong. Maybe it's the exact same thing, but they don't care about it. Maybe they don't even recognize it. In those moments, we need to point it out and make sure they understand that what they did is not okay. And then after that message has been shared, you know what you do? You put your arm around them. You share that with them that you love them. Now, it might be a couple days later, depending on the child, but it's the same message. It's just how do you get there? When we understand people and their stories, it will help us better understand how to share the great message of Jesus, the good news. Before we get to that, I wanted to also say that North Cross is a church that wants to partner with you on that to understanding people. Um, we're really passionate about being students of culture. And I'm not saying we get this right all the time, but we are very deliberate in understanding what best communicates with people in 2019. What are the things that they're facing because it's different than 1950 or 1980 or even 2008, okay, or 2009. It is so important for us to seek to understand so that we can be better understood, and we'd love to partner in that with you as well. All right, here's how it ends. This is the passage that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before, its shearer is silent. So he, it's the prophecy about Jesus, did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. A pretty amazing passage. What did Philip do with this? Next verse. 
The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. So most of you know what a eunuch is, but I'm going to explain it in the best churchy way that I can. So when people back in the day had high positions of authority in government and kingdoms and spent a lot of time with the royal family because of their position, and yet they were not royalty, the king or one of the high leaders would have many of those men castrated so as to be the ultimate deterrent to stay away from the royal women, okay? So sometimes this was done to you, and you had no choice when it comes to being in that position. Other times, people chose to have that high authority and, and position and, and was willing to, to make that sacrifice. Um, but here's what the law of Moses said, Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21, that a eunuch was not allowed to worship in the temple. Where was the eunuch going or at least, where was he on the way home from in this account? To worship in Jerusalem. So here's what we know, even though it's not said. That when the Ethiopian got to Jerusalem, he was not allowed to worship. He was not allowed in the temple that he had traveled days to get to. And if he did worship, it was outside of the temple. Do you know how he felt? Like an outsider, unloved. It makes me better understand why he might have been scouring through the book of Isaiah on the way back, trying to figure some of this stuff out because he did not leave with peace. <laughs> but then Philip comes to him and shares all about a savior who would come like sheep to the slaughter and who had been kept out or made an outsider on the cross as God the Father forsook him so that the good news, although you were not able to worship in the temple, you are still part of God's family. And with that very passage of Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I think sometimes the gospel can become rote or not as vibrant when we think about it in general terms. But when you think about real people with real problems, Jesus is the answer to all of them, every single one. And that's the passion of this church. Sometimes people have said, Ben, you must be really passionate about band music. Look at your church. I'm like, I, I like it. I'm not passionate about band music. I'm passionate about the purpose that God has given to me in my life. And I want my church to be, our church to be as well. And if the best way to reach people and to carry out that purpose was with no music, that's what we should do. And if the best way was that we would have built a hut made out of hay with uh, 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 
floor. I don't, um, dirt floor. That's what I'm looking for. I don't know how many people would have donated to that. I don't think many, and it would have been cold in the winter, but that's what we should have done because it ain't about the building. It's not about the how we do it. It's about the purpose God has given. And that's what I pray more than any way that we do something that is at the heart and the passion of you and me individually and the heart and the passion of this church. So here's my encouragement for you. Number four, let's live on purpose. Let's live on that purpose to go. And it might make you uncomfortable. It will. It doesn't change it. Seek to understand so that you can better be understood. And my God-given role in helping you grow is to keep you on purpose, whether it's always comfortable or not, whether you love change or you don't. That's how we grow. I look forward to continuing to do it together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, as you gave us new life, also gave us new purpose, that the message that has changed us, we now get to share with the world. Lord, help us to be ever cognizant of that and to be looking for opportunities to do it. And we pray that you would bless the work that the individual parts of this church body do. And collectively, may we continue to lead people to your son. We pray for your blessing in Jesus' name and also pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.